0: Well, not pronounce again, Mr. Big Sky. You just joined, okay? Maybe for later, maybe for later. Um, Gurney, did you understand what Scanning Naval was uh, talking about? Because completely lost.
1: <laughs> yeah no definitely definitely i i just i like uh insights on certain things so uh you know take the opportunity here to uh enlighten me and maybe indirectly hopefully illuminate it for for the audience and anyone listening there so no perfectly
0: including a company whose name will shall not, uh will shall not say but uh with whom we would love to play with okay second try big sky still not i'm gonna start to take it personally all right um what can i tell you um a few days back i've listened to a really really good podcast by our friend um yeah even written down his name so i wouldn't butcher it too much uh, uh but uh this legend uh, legend journalist uh committed to supporting ukraine with this podcast on the the eastern border called oh sorry called the eastern border um, so one of his latest uh, episodes is about the environmental uh, impact of, um, of the war in Ukraine and both in, in, in direct terms, so what the, what the war creates in terms of risk and um, all the, um, the bullets and all the, the shells that are, that are left apart and um, the factories that, are, that explode. And, and we've seen all that, but almost m- more frightening. He mentioned the lowering, the dramatic lowering of environmental standards in, in Russia itself, um, which I assume were not super high to begin with, but they've been drastically reduced. Uh, and as a result, uh, a large number of chemicals are being um, uh, poured into the Russian rivers, which, you know, as long as the Russian pollute the Russians, who cares? But um, there's a lot of Russian rivers that well start in Russia and then go to other countries, mostly Ukraine. Uh, there's uh, also a lot of Russian rivers that end up in seas uh, that are shared with other countries. I'm thinking of the Black Sea at the moment because well, if um, if the Russians pollute the Black Sea um, people in Turkey people in Georgia people in in um, well, in Ukraine of course uh, people in, in Romania and Bulgaria are, are going to suffer and through the Black Sea uh, then the Bosphorus the Dardanelles and it's going to arrive in the Mediterranean which really doesn't need more chemical and more more uh, uh, pollutant And this is this is yet another reason why we should we should intervene and crush Russia as fast as possible to bring it back into well what is really the 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 modern standards and uh, force them to avoid uh, poisoning us all. So we we've seen recently the the terrible terrible fate of our friends the dolphins in the Black Sea. I'm not going to expand on this, but it's gut wrenching and um, um yeah the, the the this is one of the reasons why um all the the, the greens the green parties of, across europe should be absolutely committed to destroying russia because russia is this is quite literally destroying europe destroying uh, western asia and north africa um with what they're doing and they're forcing everyone To consume more more uh, coal, and uh, they're they're turning the the they're really a force of evil. Um, I know it's it's just it's a footnote in the uh, compared to the genocide that's going on. But first of all, it's sort of footnote some people are particularly sensitive to. And uh, then you know never forget the footnotes, as anyone who's ever been in academia will remind you. Um, So yeah. That was um, uh, a rapid rant, Gurney.
1: Well, uh, I know this is is tangential, but um, I'm referring back to the Chuck Ferrer conversation from uh, either last night or the day before, uh, when when he was talking about marine mammals. Um, and so yeah, so I mean, to to add your point, you know, it's unfortunate because there are a lot of uh, marine mammals that are that are being disrupted. I mean, there's a lot of life being disrupted, humans included. Uh, but uh, but tangentially to that, I mean, uh, he just your point brought up. Uh, Um, my thoughts of chuck talking about marine mammals at the port of sevastopol and so i i didn't know how that was you know if there's if there's um if there's dolphins being affected by the sonar which which we've seen i didn't know how that was uh counteracting or 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 affecting the dolphins that they're keeping as marine mammals uh and it was quite quite a crazy story to hear from chuck because i i knew they used them but i did not know that the I I knew they were trained to mark things, report and signal, like they see a mine, okay, come back, or this, the divers. I did not know that the marine mammals could be trained uh, to have basically a spear tip, a CO2 spear tip, uh, and to literally uh, both ram the target uh, and shoot the spear into the target, and then insert compressed air into the target. It seemed incredibly nasty, but uh it finally made sense to me why he was saying um you know it presents a, a hazard for underwater divers. But that, that's a very tangential point and that's all I had to contribute to it to the marine mammal discussion.
0: Yeah thanks. That's um yeah that's that's almost once more comically evil uh of the part of um of a site that is um evil comically and not. Um can evil just
2: the same like, the uh, point. Uh, to you, Ben, that uh, let's not destroy Russia, let's destroy the regime that's running Russia, uh, because it's, it's not Russia that's destroying animals, it's the, it's the regime, it's the system that needs to be changed. Just a comment.
3: Well, Scandinavian, may I back to differ a little? I know I, you and I agree generally, but in the, on this in point, it is the Russian culture which engulfs a lot of Russians, with a lot of toler- high level of tolerance for violence and despicable actions and they have absolutely no cultural regard for individual souls or animals for that matter they see them like the chinese do very utilitarian so to an extent yes it's russia's culture on the chopping block i uh, axel
2: i stand corrected you're absolutely right uh, let's destroy the culture that's currently running russia Yes, you're right. Kito. guess what I'm saying.
3: <laughs> we should go back to Budapest, drink some Vereshacher and get rid of Mr. Orbán.
0: Okay, Axel, uh, stay focused. One dictator at a time. Even for you, it's a bit much. Let me remind you that unlike uh, a lot of uh, distinguished guests on this space, you have not been banned for life from Russia yet, which shows that you still have to, you know, work a bit more.
3: Well, more often, uh, Peter Doran, Mark Hurtling, and uh, I presume uh, Charlie Chaplin, and we speak because if I'm not quite mistaken, Charlie Chaplin also was once banned by Mr. Stalin. Eh, What should I say? That's what our Russians would have said. It's uh, it's irrelevant whether they ban you or not. You could technically see it as a badge of honor, but even if they were doing so. The question is, what does it get the mere attention of uh, the most utterly drunk and despicable press attache of a regime? Ah, Please.
0: Advertisement for the space, man?
3: Yeah, well, so what? Then all moderators at some point in time will be banned from entering uh, the territory of the Russian Federation. Yeah, all right. I'll take that. I don't
0: care. I've got two passports with two different names. They cannot stop me. If I want to go and have a coffee at Pushkin's tomorrow, I can. Anyway, um, what do you want to say? Oh, yeah. Um, you, just wh- what to,
3: is- you just have to enlist in the diplomatic service uh, of the current uh, number of republic, whatever the, what is the current numeraire of your republic? I'm not quite sure. You change them so often. And uh, uh, then you go.
0: Well, yes, but they're, they've uh, sent back a few recently, so... It may not be quite as easy i think i'd, I'd rather i don't know sell parts no, like tank parts that's probably what works best um
3: or opt yeah
0: exactly although talus did pull out yesterday so
3: in order but, not to be in order not to be our canadian and american audience we should highlight the fact that we are both proud proud citizens and patriots of our countries who are utterly despondent over the insidious, perfidious, negligent, if not quite uh, outright, gross, negligent and willful uh, support of uh, Russia by our governments, past and present, and some of the industrial magnates uh, collaborating with them. It is despicable, and we have to work against it. And we apologize to you, dear America, because you saved us all at least twice, if not thrice.
0: Speak for yourself. Korsika has had a, a perfect record when it comes to uh, pushing back on the Russian influence. <laughs> not, not mentioning the city, the, the place I live in here. No, the, the place I live in now, which is Estonia. Um, that being said, I heard something being talked about the the east wing of some famous building that once Canadians used uh, for a bonfire. Um, What is it all about?
3: There's a possibility that uh, a very, very decent actor, and I think Walter should talk about this, if he's around, or somebody else can in more detail. I did follow it uh, in bits and bobs, but I'm I'm not the most comprehensively brief. But there is... Someone who is an engine provocateur of social media uh, art and events who will project uh, a number of uh, truths um, about the Russian invasion, the illegitimate and illegal Russian invasion of Ukraine, onto a building, yes, which will include a little cultural
0: visit to an east Fantastic. Although, uh, Walter has this quality of teasing, like. Which I'm not sure I like much. He said, uh, "Come, the we will be here at some point between five minutes and five hours. Who knows? I don't like that. I'm, I'm trepidating."
3: Can somebody Canadian please help me explain our French specificity uh, instead of ambiguïté to them? Ryan, Oklahoma, do you Oklahoma, follow? Do you follow?
1: Um, actually, I was uh, preoccupied here. I had to bathe the dog unexpectedly, but I am finished now. I was very much enjoying the conversation, but I could not reach my phone until just this moment.
3: So the Friday Night Light Entertainment, the, uh, how should we say, um, Francaise, Allemande, uh, Varité show is uh, over now. Fini. Tom, bring some good Anglophile re- uh,
4: I, I don't know if I can bring much good reasoning. I've got COVID at the moment and feel pretty terrible. <laughs> um, Shite. Yeah, uh, I should be okay, but um, I, I probably won't talk very much on more listen. Um, I just thought while it was quiet that you might like to hear the story of the US Navy dolphin unit that went into Iraq in the Iraq war. Um It was uh, in some way connected to like Navy SEALs. Um, It was, you know, a sort of special forces unit of dolphins designed to detect mines and no doubt do other nefarious stuff. And they, they literally had U.S. Navy divers with spear guns to protect them because they thought that Iraqi dolphins might be very territorial and try to attack them. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Then a week later, I read a story, U.S. Navy SEALs Dessert, which nowadays we would call clickbait. But I was like, what? U.S. Navy SEALs Dessert? That makes no sense. So I read about it and it was the dolphins. What happened was the dolphins had met a bunch of Iraqi dolphins and they just started swimming around with them and having sex with them. And then they all deserted. <laughs> so they didn't realize <laughs> They were just a bunch of hippies from California, you know. And suddenly here they were in a totally new ocean, meeting totally new dolphins. So just thought I'd bring a bit of levity.
3: That is beautiful. And you wouldn't believe but Chuck Farah was uh, the head of CO2-6, and he can talk about exactly that story. Uh, probably in a slightly disappointed yarn, but that is just wonderful. Thank you, Tom. Scandinavos.
2: Yeah, thank you. I, I, do you mind if I move into a NATO topic?
3: I, of course not, No. With
2: okay. pleasure. Uh, I pleasure. Uh, So uh, this afternoon I was actually during the uh, session with uh, Colonel Bojcek. I was actually on my afternoon run by this wonderful lake, uh, Baltic Lake, uh, Itameri, the Baltic, now NATO Lake. Uh, on on my run, I actually came across some, actually lots of Canadian goose and I, I'm slightly offended by the Canadians for sending all the geese over here because there are lots of them. But anyway, uh, but I, looked, <laughs> I, I, I looked at the geese, and it, they kind of reminded me, me of turkeys. And then I started thinking about the early Ergo, and, and this whole NATO process that, that we are now actually engaged in, and uh, and you, you've read the news, so so. Uh, yesterday, <coughs> Erdogan uh, demanded to have the last uh, interview, even after Biden. Actually, um, uh, regarding the Madrid uh, conference, and uh, and he bas he basically went like completely off charts when it came onto the paper that had been signed. You know, the memorandum of understanding with Sweden and Finland, and all of a sudden, you know, there were like seventy two deportees, which yesterday was like thirty something. And uh, and it's clear that Turkey, you know, they've now, you know, the invitation. Okay, that's that's now settled. But I I, I think this process with Turkey will take for some time. And and these questions that I'm asking now should have really been directed towards Colonel Wojciech uh, and 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 the military guys who operated and worked with NATO. Uh, and I, I'm I guess uh, I, I have to apologize that this. Uh, topic is not sort of pertinent to Ukraine right now but it's pertinent to the future of NATO I think which is that uh, as I understand the article 5 uh, okay becoming a member of NATO requires an uh, unanimity so all the NATO members need to agree on that invoking article 5 as I understand doesn't doesn't need unanimity so so basically individual members of NATO can whether respond or not to respond, Article Five. But then, kind of the bigger question is that uh, NATO, as it was founded, was kind of a alliance of democracies, you know, liberal democracies, believing in the power of the people, uh, where no man, no single man or woman makes a choice. Uh, but now we see this development where we have actually two members at least at this stage, which is Turkey uh, and Hungary, where where it's it's becoming increasingly authoritarian so is there a mechanism or how does how will NATO deal with this because it's it's potentially a kind of a huge problem for the organization in the sense that uh, you know when you have lots of people making decisions you typically don't make like t- stupendously stupid decisions but when you have like one guy making decisions vis-a-vis Putin Ukraine you're making stupid decisions so how, does, how does this, this is this going to play in the long run so that NATO doesn't become an alliance of, you know, dictators, how to say? And I'm not trying to be a troll here. I'm just trying to, uh, how to say, invoke a discussion, how we ensure the longevity and the effectiveness of the alliance, you know, a hundred years from now. And that's a trigger point for some, but uh, hopefully not to you, Alec.
3: No, I have a view on this, but... Uh...
0: Me, I mean, Allez-vous? Uh, I think I agree. No, um, seriously. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, uh as seen from afar, I'm really not a specialist. But what you're what you're saying, Scandinavian, sounds uh, exceedingly um, uh, fair. Uh, there is no evidence that in you no know, 50 years' time, Sweden is not going to turn into a, a bloodthirsty dictatorship, and we should have a whip. In NATO.
2: But okay, okay, my, my counter argument actually, and you know, this is also a delicate point, but you know, <clears throat> looking at the United States two or three years back, I was slightly worried. Uh, so, so democracy is a delicate thing uh, which has to be fostered. Uh, and it's all built upon the principle of, you know, having your kids, ed- kids educated, uh, having equality and equal opportunities for all uh and and you know we've seen i would say thank massive russian uh hybrid influencing efforts a degradation of of that in the western world over the past year so i guess i'm answering my own question in the sense that okay let's make sure that we don't get influenced and our elections are not being twisted by the by the cage by the FSB and and other militant actors so maybe that's the answer i don't know but I'm just saying that uh, I, I don't understand now NATO uh, because, I, as I understand, you, you know, you can't kick anybody out of NATO. So, so
3: That is not okay. totally true.
2: OK, but, but, but I, I, I guess there's an option also that let's say that we have all the other members except for Turkey and Hungary decide that, oh, actually, we are not going to fund NATO anymore. We're going to set up NATO 2.0 and you're not invited. And and that could be the uh or something like that.
3: Well, uh, by unanimous decisions, uh, the uh, main members of NATO could decide that they uh, will change the foundation uh, of NATO. Um, that would then trigger uh, a direct uh, conflict with the other party if they so disliked that. And uh, then the majority of those NATO members could uh, essentially either dissolve NATO and reinvent it right away or uh, and have it passed or simply actually expel that other member uh, because uh, that member does not subscribe to the main uh, and the core d'esprit and the main founding acts and principles. And that's that, the possibility exists. There is no such thing as no expulsion on the contrary, It does not say that in the NATO foundation agreement. One has to look very carefully. There is a mechanism for that. And okay basic, basic common law okay well that's uh that's uh, relieving to hear
2: and I have no per se like issues with Turkey as a country and it's a incredible Constantinople, Constantinople, and in everything the culture and everything
3: sounds uh, it's just that it
2: yes and yeah, but except that they just had this uh slightly you know beyond the ripe age uh prime minister, uh, sorry, president that uh, has just been in power for maybe slightly too long. And he's in domestic uh, problems in his politics because of uh, some twisted ideas of economics. And uh, now he's having to use his foreign policy to sort of bolster his image uh, domestically, uh, which then we Finns and Swedes are paying the price
3: for. But you're not. That's you're right. actually not paying a price. You're not really well, paying a price. No, wait, wait, no you're right. You're, you're gaining, you're gaining uh, access to a community which actually thinks exactly like you. You're gaining access to a false integration system which is unparalleled because it is based on demora- democratic will. You're gaining no. access to better intelligence exchange to weave the net of good intelligence and counterintelligence and deterrence capacity of these democracies, and you become a stronger partner by means of committing yourselves to that community, and that that in itself is, uh, yeah, immeasurably. It's uh, immeasurable. It's priceless, quite literally and uh, the only price you have to constantly pay is the annoyance with that regime in turkey the utter disgust um, as to the opposition uh, vocal and otherwise from hungary but other than that there's nothing which is really bad
2: no i i agree axel that the the glass is more than half full I, i i totally agree with that and uh it's it's and I have to say that uh my personal view in some ways is that why why did we delay these decisions for such a long time and it was all based on this sort of uh misplaced fear uh i mean it was unknowable until now you know the rubber has met the road and <laughs> the world has seen that the world's second greatest military is actually maybe the world's thirty eighth greatest military uh in, in the sense that uh, Finland was always a little bit of afraid of. Applying because of the fear of the Russian aggression. Of course, it's a it's a little bit more complicated since now that the the Russian military has been completely tied down uh, and 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 also decimated uh, in Ukraine uh, thanks to their brave, incredibly brave and 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 just the heroic uh, counterfighting uh, that this opportunity has, has provided. So, uh,
3: it's interesting. If you. I may, just add this. Yeah, we'll we park it for now. now.
5: We'll part yeah, I was just about because, to say because we have uh, our guest, who was okay. supposed to join us. And uh, we are welcoming Lyubov Cybulska, who is hybrid warfare expert from Ukraine. She's a founder of Stratcom Center. Um, she was also, I believe she is an advisor to Minister of Foreign Affairs in Ukraine, uh, former Minister of Defense and General Staff in Ukraine. Again, welcome, Lyubov and uh
6: to you Hello. Hello. hi dobre it's my pleasure to be here thank you for having me.
5: Walter
3: stole my thunder, I was just about to welcome you. I'm sorry, I apologize Walter, please go
5: on yeah, we'll continue to do so so um Ljubov, can you give us uh, like a brief introduction? what do you do specifically what does the stratcom center does and um what is like the area of uh, of your expertise and specifically the effort of Stratcom Center, just for our audience, for the general understanding. Yes, of
6: course. So I'm a, an expert on hybrid threats. I've been analyzing Russian hybrid warfare since two thousand and fourteen with the main focus on disinformation. However, uh, now I study Russian uh, war tactics. Uh, I study Russian uh, sentiments uh, in Russia, uh, Russian uh, information operations and generally operations of uh, of influence. Uh, Regarding the Stratcom, it was launched uh, one year ago, a little bit more, and the idea was to accumulate basically an expertise on hybrid threats within the government because prior to this this expertise had been uh, accumulated has had been collected mostly within civil society which was absolutely great because civil society in ukraine is extremely powerful um but uh, we wanted to uh sort of produce this expertise uh, on behalf of, of government and i was invited there as a representative of civil society and uh, the main task of Stratcom Center is to counter Russian disinformation, identify uh, Russian disinformation, uh, debunk, but also to promote Ukrainian narratives. So this is like uh, um, the idea was taken from uh, the centers of uh, excellence uh, in in the US, uh, in in uh, in the EU uh and yeah it, it it's uh, also sort of a bridge between the government and civil society we wanted to make sure that our ngos dealing with the uh, hybrid warfare and specifically disinformation um, are heard by the government so if the government wants to uh, have some policy on disinformation or media uh, stratcom center is basically the platform uh for the ngos um to 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 be heard and currently i'm not the head of the center i'm an advisor to the center i
5: uh, well i believe that's somewhat what i have been doing since the 24th here, like basically conveying the the narratives from ukrainians to the to the outside, and uh basically putting the events in ukraine under the spotlight considering the russian invasion and ongoing genocide of Ukrainians perpetrated by Russians. Um, Let's jump straight away to to something that is probably the most important. We are hearing more and more of these Russian narratives being injected into Western media into one way or another. They are wrapped in an envelope of just, you know, alternative point of view of of an opinion or something else. Again, they're presented in... Larger media assets in one way or another. Things like uh, Russia has been a, a part of things for many years, let's hear Russia, let's negotiate peace, or something along these lines. Uh, considering your expertise, what are the most dangerous of these narratives? What are the most kind of important ones that we should be vigilant about? and specifically which one would you like emphasize and how to combat them
6: First of all I would say that let's remember that Russia works pretty skillfully with different audiences with its domestic audience with the ukrainian audience as and with the western audience and it has uh, different narratives and conducts different uh, operations of influence for for these audiences uh with regard to the west i would emphasize a few of them first of all we see currently that russia is trying to remove sanctions uh it tries to basically uh show that uh, sanctions uh do not work and uh, only russian society uh, suffers from from the sanctions but not russian government and and, and so on uh and uh, another thing is to uh, the, russia continues to discredit ukraine promoting these narratives on Nazis but I think it's not that much successful i do not i I, I believe that not many people in the West still believe that uh, Nazis there are Nazis in ukraine uh, also uh, basically the main narrative uh Russia um, conveys is that uh, Ukraine belongs to uh, Russia's so, sort of zone of influence, and this is very dangerous, because uh, a lot of countries still tend to believe that Ukraine is something very close to Russia, like these people have the same language, and like like they generally belong to to this to this sphere like post-soviet which is I actually do not like I don't like when Ukraine is called post-soviet country like we've been independent uh, for 30 years how long we are going to be called po- post-soviet what is uh, what is it like you know when uh, uh, Nazi Germany collapsed nobody called Germany post Nazis right and uh, if uh, when when uh, uh russian empire collapsed nobody called it post-tar country or something like this so um it also forms it also shapes the identity and there is no such identity as post-soviet uh we we are not the same not with russia obviously and uh, not with other countries uh, as well so yeah i would say that um Russia is trying to uh, bring down and, you know, diminish the importance of, uh, of Ukraine as the independent state. And uh, th- this uh, very, very uh, powerful, I would say, operation on sanctions uh, we observe now is absolutely also very dangerous.
5: Thank you, Lyubov. Um Axel, our uh, German friend from Estonia, Oh, I believe Axel just disconnected, try to get him back. I believe he had a question as well. So let's jump further regarding that narrative. Um, what's your take about, basically, Russian attempts and Russian narratives, trying to push this notion of basically, solidifying the Russian gains under the pretence of peace, or peace by all means... How aggressive are they? What means do they use to basically inject this? into to western media assets. Um
6: yes, this is a very strong narrative uh and they are trying to uh incline us to 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 peace negotiations which is not an option for Ukraine right now especially after all the you know casualties, destructions and and murders and and everything we suffered uh, from Russia. Uh, And this is dangerous because uh, the West mm, feels this fatigue right now and everybody wants to end this war. Like a lot of people, and I just uh, recently came from uh, Brussels and I heard from many people that, you know, we are so tired. And it was quite, you know, interesting that people were saying this to me, the person from, from Ukraine uh, that the the westerners are tired and and they they want to to end this conflict they don't want to hear about atrocities which as i i, I totally understand the yes we all have this atrocities fatigue uh, but still, there there are people's life behind it. It's not just you know news. It's not just media. It's about real events and real suffering, and which we want to stop. So yeah, Russia uh, exploits this fatigue uh, and and persuading everybody that you know let's end it, let's have peace negotiation. Uh, and uh, obviously, the main idea behind is uh, this is to 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 make Ukraine to concede territories, to surrender, to give Russia uh, the south and uh, the east of Ukraine.
5: Yeah, it's really, well, worrisome is the, the, the wrong here and concerning is the word the wrong word here because uh, we all know that what Russia does on these territories, it's essentially genocides people, it's uh, mass atrocities, mass murders, uh, mass rapes deportation and uh, it's a pity that these narratives of being you know tired of war are basically (laughs) disseminated in one way or another it's like they're trying to to inject these narratives of trying to broker some kind of a peace with russia and uh, rebuild potentially relationships with russia a state that is essentially a terrorist state right right now we're in an ongoing push on uh, Ukrainian Twitter and just overall Twitter with the hashtag, hashtag Russia is a terrorist state because what Russia does is essentially like, literally a terrorism, right? Uh, do you want to like to touch upon that and then we'll go to... Action.
6: Absolutely, I fully agree with you. And especially, you know, the last uh, week shows us that uh, Russia shifted to uh, the tactics of uh, ter- like total terrorism, uh it bombs civilian uh, infrastructure. It's basically just kill innocent people. Moreover, Russia kills these people at night when they're sleeping. And we have a lot of uh, killed and wounded for the last uh, uh, week, you know, and they're, they're just, you know, kids women they are not military at all and uh, yeah this is how they try to push us to negotiations they want to exhaust us and to show that nobody is safe we can target whatever we want um, so absolutely this is a terroristic uh, tactic and uh, russia is a ter- yeah state terrorist thank you axel to you
3: yeah thank you um yeah one quick thing It seems that uh, the russian media machine never really stops and every little slip up in the west is taken uh, quite neatly so when an italian politician makes a statement whether they wear a t-shirt of putin and then they use it uh, for their purpose or whether it's a french politician who makes a statement which could be uh, considered misguided they are always they're always there in order to feed to their uh, journalists and their journalist contacts um the you know fear doubt concern um claims about russian victimhood and uh, that russians would be pursued Russophobia, russia and the like the most recent example is that um ambassador Melnik, who had a little kerfuffle about uh, say an appraisal of uh, bandera as a figure of nationalism as such um being ostracized in german media for it and now being pursued heavily, literally, I mean, across the board, and that has spilled over into part of uh, the uh, community in Israel, even, as to that uh, his words are being torn apart and reinterpreted and the likes. Because Mr. Melnick has been very solid in reminding the Germans of their responsibility and their obligation. But at the same time, immediately, even the the most minor slip-up were to occur, the Russian media contacts are there. So what do we have to do in order to ensure that journalists become a little bit more critical? How should we act?
6: I would say that we should push our narratives. Like, Obviously, it's very important, uh, it's crucial to do debunking to uh, disprove Russian disinformation but at the same time it's absolutely important to push our own narratives and to explain uh, specifically the Germans, uh, like Ukraine's contribution for instance to, uh, for instance, to the uh, Second World War, to explain Germans uh, what the difference between Russia and Ukraine because again a lot of people put us together uh, which is a huge mistake because Ukraine has been struggling with this uh, monster country for, you know, 300 years. And uh, we basically were, you know, occupied by, by Russia uh, for many years. So it's not uh, that we were there voluntarily. We had in our history, particularly in the last centuries uh, in in uh, 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 the first part of the century, we had uh, some attempts to uh, to get our independence. So I think it's 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 like two two things, like uh, crisis communications and speech communications, basically disproving disinformation, debunking disinformation, and pushing uh, our own narratives.
3: I mean, I agree. Positive information always always works better. Uh, it's, But the, it seems to me that also somehow uh, we have to get these points, these clear uh, cultural distinctive um, borders between what Russia on the one hand and what Russia has done since the day of the duchy of Moscovy um, in order to subjugate its neighbors, especially Ukraine, and then try to change the narrative, suppress uh, Ukraine's culture for hundreds of years that needs to be put um, fair and square into the minds of journalists because they haven't read Bloodlands, they haven't read Borderland, they haven't read anything about Ukraine. Often enough, whenever we have journalists come on and we have this a couple of times, even here on The Space, it is at times quite atrocious what their relationship to Ukrainian history and its role within the past hundred years is. It is it is outright astonishing. There is a level of ignorance which is inexcusable given the fact that we do have the internet.
6: Couldn't agree more. I would say that it's about working with journalists because obviously there is a lot of ignorance there, but also with policymakers and politicians and also exposing those who cooperate uh with Russia uh, on on, on some financial basis as well. So there are a lot of ways to uh, counter this. Uh, But we know that Russia has very strong lobbies uh, across Europe, across the EU, and specifically in Germany and also France. And uh, we should expose these people, because very often these people are driven not by sincere you know feelings or love to russia but just by mon- money
5: can you give us some like examples about you know most uh, notorious one or is like more a generalized thing that it's too complex at this point
6: i would say that the the whole project of nord stream 2 is the great example people who are behind this project they they are basically collaborators and and they they uh, were getting money from russia Schroeder is one of the main advocates of uh, russia in, in the eu and many others so there are of course this you know high politi- political level but also uh, other layers and other levels and uh, there are people uh, who were Uh, very often invisible to the general public, but still they're very influential.
3: I think you have a very good point there, that we should actually name those people and highlight it. And this is not going to what in the Internet is often called doxing, quite on the contrary. But we should highlight those people who are playing a role, who are part and parcel of the infrastructure of this, um, shall we say, Army of gullibles, an army of uh, willing supporters So, how do you, how does that influence your work at Stratcom Center and when you advise them? What are the pathways to bring more clarity and transparency into this?
6: Currently, uh, the main idea uh, and and the main task uh, is to uh, counter Russian disinformation in Ukraine and. Uh, uh, encourage our people uh, within Ukraine to fight, to raise their spirit. So I think that this is like the, the most important part of our work right now, because obviously, uh, yes, we show the world very beautiful story, you know, story about bravery and sacrifice and love and also humor and a lot of other stuff. But we we understand, and with each day we understand more and more that this war is not going to end, uh, you know, in a week or a month. So we we have to keep fighting. And the the, the like I, I would say that the most important part for now is for us is to encourage our people to fight, but also uh, encourage our uh, partners to support us to give us weapons and to uh, impose more sanctions on Russia. Because, uh, you know, sometimes it seems very strange when the West, on the one hand, gives us weapons, but at the same time continues to trade with Russia. So basically, you help Ukraine to fight, you also feed this war, because uh, all these rockets and, you know, missiles, all these bombs... Uh, they, they, they are paid uh, by, um, by, by the EU taxpayers because some countries still continue to buy Russian gas and oil. So I would say that, yes, uh, the center's job currently is focused on uh, uh, promoting this narrative about support uh, and uh, encouraging people uh, to continue fighting. How large is
5: the team? I can agree more, no worries. I just I want to reverberate that message. We were lucky to have here in this space Roman uh, Ratusny, who was essentially tuning in directly from the front line. Uh, I believe it was five times, and the very last time that he was in, I believe it was on the 5th of June, and then he was killed by Russian invaders on the 9th. The very last time he was in uh, on this space, he essentially... Conveyed the same message. Yes, we are pushing. Yes, we will push them back, um, Russian invaders. But if uh, civilized countries continue to trade with Russia, if they continue to essentially buy natural resources for Russia, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fly. It's not gonna go well. And that was one of his messages as well. So that said, uh, back to you. Yeah,
3: I think we can only highlight this message each and every time I And mean, there is of course one item which we can always utilize there is so, something like the concept of sunk costs things you have to write off meaning for example the investments into existing long-term contracts and the fact that certain industries in Europe are dependent on certain items and this has to be, ph- to be phased out but what we've been asking here is and since many months that so to say for every every dollar spent in honoring such commitments, paying for gas or whatever, for every dollar spent, and don't forget, they can't really make use of that amount of money because they cannot purchase the spare parts and services they actually need from the West anymore. The sanctions are gripping, in that and that's good. But for every dollar spent, we should outspend that in relevant purchasing, meaning preferably 10 to 1 if we can, but at least 3 to 1. And I wanted to just highlight, how do you see then... The spending commitments, the massive spending commitments, both under the land lease as such. And since then, every week under the additional authorizations by the United States, as well as by, for example, the United Kingdom, which has made great contributions. But then again, today, Norway, Baltic countries, everyone, pretty much every country has significant commitments. That includes, by the way, also Germany and France to Ukraine, which outpace and outstrip what Russia can actually do with any kind of cash. Are we doing enough in that regard in terms of money by stabilizing Ukraine's budget?
6: I think that with each day we have more and more commitment from our partners. And it it happens because uh, our allies um, have this realization more and more that... Uh, Russia is the, is, is the evil country, you know like it's not about Ukraine. Uh, if Ukraine is defeated, then Russia will go further and the whole world will have to deal with this somehow. And um, absolutely, as you said, like uh, the US and and the UK and and, uh, Norway today, but of course, uh, first of all, our neighbors, because they know what Russia is. Uh, I mean, Baltic states, Poland, they very well aware they have the joint history with Russia. They know what what this, what um, this this state pretty well and um, they support us. I do not, think that it's enough because again we do not have uh sunk sanctions enough we have to the west has to stop uh trade with russia uh and uh, stop fueling this war uh and and then we will see results and hopefully in 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 the autumn uh because uh all you russian citizens will feel The consequences uh, of this economic losses. Uh, And um, yeah, obviously, we are very grateful and we keep saying this all the time that we are absolutely grateful to our partners for uh, the weapons and sanctions and everything that we receive from them. But still, we have to all, we, we all have to understand that this is the country it's like basically nazi germany it's like hitler we all have to uh defeat it's not just ukraine's you know task uh, because this problem uh will appear in front of others once uh, ukraine is defeated and um, yeah and i guess that um, a lot of countries start understanding this better and better but my concern is that you know citizens of these countries sooner or later will uh, start asking their governments like why we are paying so much for instance for gas or why we are giving so much money to ukraine so it's crucial to work with uh, the societies with citizens of this country and explain them that there is something more important than uh prices for gas for instance there are people's life behind it and uh, eventually it might be your life as well
3: well um, i agree with you very well put how would you like us to support you and what your what you and stratcom center are doing uh
6: i think that we we should again like work with the um, civil societies and with the policy makers more we should explain uh, that it's not just regional conflict we should explain that uh, we all want to finish this work as soon as possible and it's um, it's it's very real and uh, Ukraine is capable of winning I think this is a very important point we have to we have to push like it's uh, a lot of people you know and and, and I got this impression that uh, when I was traveling in in the EU recently that many people think that Ukraine is like already destroyed you know like there are so many losses and so many killed people and and wounded military and whatever like that's like there is no sense in, in in uh continuing this this uh, struggle so they just want to end it so i think this is a big mistake because we are capable of winning we are strong we are very motivated so we have to work with the uh, as you said with journalists with civil society and policy makers on this and uh, again fight this fatigue yes it is difficult to focus uh, to keep this focus uh on, on Ukraine for so long. But and uh, we all are, you know, interested in, in finishing this as soon as possible. And uh, uh, if you give us more weapons and if you put sanctions, then we will do it pretty, pretty much soon. And uh, we do not ask, I mean, Ukrainians do not ask the West to fight for us. We will do it. Like, just give us weapons and we will handle the rest.
3: Well, Thank you for that. Uh, We agree with you and uh, our friend Walter who started this all by the night before the invasion, coming online and he couldn't stop himself until he exhausted himself uh, by remaining online on Twitter and restarting uh, the space again and again and again um, and uh, gaining a volunteer army of support and inciting many people around the world to join him in that regard, um, has done exactly that. I think Walter has been advocating this from the very beginning, and we've joined him in that feat in the first or second week, depending on who came, and we've gained many others. We are trying to do the very same thing. Information awareness, I completely agree with you. It's absolute key. And the point um, we've been making this here on a regular basis because we, uh, due to the fact how how it works for us and the background of many of the people who are amongst both the moderators and the regular speakers. And there's a lot of, um, shall we say, former military, former intelligence and uh, former defense industry or active military intelligence defense industry people amongst us who simply don't want to stand by and watch. And we'd rather disarm the disinformation on the one hand and support Ukraine by bringing the message out that Ukraine is not just capable And not just willing, but very, very well positioned to win. And uh, our friend Yehuda said it, um, I think it was in the fourth week. Um, And Mark Hartling, former sucker of Europe for NATO, um, has said it. Russia has already suffered a strategic defeat. Everything else from there onward is battles, tactics, and ultimately victory for Ukraine. Because the Russian casualties, they have not achieved any of their tactical aims. They have not achieved any of their strategic. They are currently still battling for certain tactical aims, but they're not winning them. They can't hold them. They know this. Because the overwhelming support of the West is on the side of the righteous, meaning Ukraine. So when you just said that the people in Europe whom you've met have actually shown this kind of wariness, this doom and gloom... This, oh God, Russia will win and Ukraine can't possibly win. We should always revert back to the numbers. And uh, I think this is the key aspect. Russia is suffering the greatest losses of an army they've ever fielded in the battlefield in percentage terms and also in real terms since the Second World War. They've never failed as much in a battle as with their withdrawal on the Northern Front since Tannenberg in 1917. There is no such winning. They are only destroyed, and that needs to stop. I would like to go to Hans. We have a couple of people who would like to ask questions. Regular hours. Uh, ben.
0: Good evening. Uh, thanks a lot for...